but it didn't really matter. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, this morning, we're going through the entire book of Ecclesiastes, uh, not verse by verse, uh, but to get the broad picture, and I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation this morning, because I think it gets the mood right in this book. Uh, so you can read along. Uh, it may not be your translation. Uh, maybe it is. Uh, if you would prefer, I would also encourage you to close your eyes and just listen uh, to what the book of Ecclesiastes has to tell you and me. Uh, Friends, with that in mind, let's hear God's word to us from the book of Ecclesiastes. These are the words of the teacher, King David's son, who ruled in Jerusalem. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher, completely meaningless. Welcome to church, by the way. (laughs) Hope you're doing great. What do people get for all their hard work under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes. The sun rises and the sun sets, then hurries around to rise again. The wind blows south and then blows north. Around and around it goes, blowing in circles. Rivers run into the sea, but the sea is never full. Then the water returns again to the rivers and flows out again to the sea. Everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we aren't content. History merely repeats itself. It has all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. Sometimes people say, here's something new, but actually it is old. Nothing is ever truly new. We don't remember what happened in the past, and in future generations, no one will remember what we are doing now. I, the teacher, was king of Israel, and I lived in Jerusalem. I devoted myself to search for understanding and to explore by wisdom everything being done under heaven. I soon discovered that God has dealt a tragic existence to the human race. I observed everything going on under the sun, and really it is all meaningless, like chasing the wind. What is wrong cannot be made right. What is missing cannot be recovered. I said to myself, look, I'm wiser than any of the kings who ruled in Jerusalem before me. I have greater wisdom and knowledge than any of them. So I set out to learn everything from wisdom to madness and folly, but I learned firsthand that pursuing all this is like chasing the wind. The greater my wisdom, the greater my grief. To increase knowledge only increases sorrow. Friends, the grass withers and the flower fades, and so do you. (laughs) This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Be seated all the next minutes of your meaningless life. Let's pray. Yes, this sermon is being brought to you by Eeyore. (laughs) Now, let's pray. Uh, Father, we ask in Jesus' name that we would hear what the book of Ecclesiastes has to say. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, if you're diving into the book of Ecclesiastes, yes, it is very much the black sheep of the Bible. There's really nothing else like it. Uh, Some of you may be realizing right, right off the bat, this is now your favorite book of the Bible. Uh, But for many of us, we don't really know what to do with the book of Ecclesiastes because it's asking that fundamental human question that we all sort of struggle with in life, right? What is the meaning of life? I mean, really, what is the meaning of life in your life? Uh, Have you ever asked yourself that? Have you struggled with that? That's the core question. What is the meaning of life? Uh, Who remembers what the answer is to the question, what is the meaning of life? Who here remembers? Anyone? What was that? Well, who got it? Someone got it right. 42. 
Who here has read The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? Yeah. In chapter one of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, people are trying to figure out the meaning of, you know, like everything in life. And so what they do is they develop a computer that works for seven and a half million years, checking and double-checking what the meaning of life is. And the computer finally, after seven and a half million years, spits out the answer that the meaning of everything is 42. And then in the book it goes on, 42, someone yells at the computer. Is that all you've got to show for seven and a half million years of work? At which point the computer, called Deep Thought, responded, I checked it very thoroughly, and that quite definitely is the answer. I think the problem, to be honest with you, is that you've never actually known what the question is. Ecclesiastes wrestles with this question, what is the meaning of life? And for the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the answer is just absurdity. It's just 42. It, it, there's no meaning. But what is the right question? Well, remember, this is sort of the black sheep of the Bible. We don't really know what to do with it. Uh, but Herman Melville in Moby Dick said that the truest of all men was the man of sorrows, and the truest of all books was Solomon's, because Ecclesiastes is a fine hammered steel of woe. <laughs> it's the black sheep, but it speaks to something, doesn't it? It tries to answer what is the meaning of life. And it's based on King Solomon's life, right? King David's son. Uh, I'm not really sure, and neither is any scholar, if this is actually Solomon or someone sort of uh, doing a, a drama as if he were Solomon. I venture to think that that question is actually meaningless. The point is, Solomon is the inspiration. See what I did there? The hard thing about Ecclesiastes is it's wisdom literature. So when you and I get to Proverbs, Proverbs is very, very easy to understand. It's, it's very clear. It shows us how to have a successful life. Don't dig in a pit, you'll fall in it, right? Do the right thing. Proverbs is how to have a successful life. But Ecclesiastes delves into the question, what do you do with success? You guys are pretty successful. I know that, and you know that. And now you know that I know that you know that I know that. Proverbs will tell you how to have a successful life, but what do you do with success? That's what Ecclesiastes is all about. So what is the meaning of life, right? What's the right question, you know? Well, is the meaning of life, you know, like hard work, mm, hard work. That's what it's about. Well, he goes on and he says, I worked really, really hard, and then I realized that everything I work for is just chasing after the wind because even if I build a great company, Somebody else is going to ruin it anyway, probably my son, right? <laughs> he says, I know what life is about. Life is about pleasure. You, know, you read chapter 2. He says, you know what life is about? Having all the women I could want, all the pleasure, all the great trips. But, you know, as Tim Mackey says, Monday always comes. Doesn't matter how great the vacation is. Doesn't matter how great Disney World is. Eventually it's over, Right? Well, what about, what, oh, I know what I want. I want a beautiful home. That's what the meaning of life is. Well, look at chapter 2, verse 4. He says, I also tried to find meaning by building a beautiful home. Homes, in fact, for myself. And it wasn't just a home. I planted beautiful vineyards. I made gardens and parks, and I got them filled with all kind of fruit trees. But then I realized that one day my kids aren't going to wait to sell it and put me in a home. 
He goes on in chapter 12, talking to older people, none of which count as you, but one day, chapter 12, verse 5, he says, remember him before you become fearful of falling, worry about the danger in the streets, before your hair turns white like an almond tree in bloom, and you drag along without energy like a dying grasshopper, and no aphrodisiac can inspire your sexual desire again. No pill's going to work for you one day. Remember him before you near the grave, your everlasting home where the mourners will weep at your funeral. What about a beautiful Instagrammable life? It's funny, he says, I realize that all neighborliness is really just out of envy, isn't it? Does any wonder why he goes on in 2 verse 11? He says, but as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless, like chasing the wind. You know, some of us will say, well, you know, maybe the meaning of life is not me-centered, it's justice-centered. I want to devote my life to seeing justice in this world. Well, guess what? The author of Ecclesiastes has to say about that. He says, have you seen our court system? <laughs> Verse 316, I also noticed that under the sun there's evil in the courtroom. Yes, even the courts of law are corrupt. And then he goes on in chapter 5, verse 8, and he says, well, if I devote myself to justice, don't, I shouldn't be surprised if I see a poor person being oppressed by the powerful and if justice is being miscarried throughout the land, for every official is under orders from a higher up, and matters of justice get lost in red tape and bureaucracy. Even the king milks the land for his own profit. Huh. You know this is you, right? It was you. <laughs> and me. Some of us would say, well, the meaning of life is youth. Staying young. You know, maybe there's young people. Ah, old people are jaded, you know. What does he say about young people? Well, in chapter 11, verse 9, the preacher says, Young people, it's wonderful to be young. Enjoy every minute of it. Do everything you want to do. Take it all in. Carpe diem. But remember that you must give an account to God for everything you do. So refuse to worry and keep your body healthy. But remember that youth with a whole life before you is meaningless. It's like chasing after the wind. Is it any wonder that nobody knows what to do with this book? <laughs> you know, one of my favorite authors is a man named C.S. Lewis. And you may know him for his fantasy novels. Some of you may know him for his Christian apologetics uh, but what you may not know about C.S. Lewis is there came a time later in life when he got married, and uh, a few years later, unfortunately, his wife passed away, and it rocked C.S. Lewis's world, and he wrote a very famous book, a very short little book called A Grief Observed. Who's read A Grief Observed? It reads unlike anything else C.S. Lewis has ever written. And, you know, as Christians, we read it, and we don't know what to do. Uh, you know, he goes on, and he talks about why would God allow such suffering he says, you know, what do people mean when they say, I'm not afraid of God because I know he's good. And you know what C.S. Lewis says next? He says, have they never even been to a dentist? <laughs> it doesn't really matter whether you grip the arms of the dentist's chair 
or let your hands lie in your lap, the drill drills on. I love you dentists in the room. We have Novocaine now. But what's his point? It's like chasing after the wind. Well, what does meaningless mean? Uh, well, you know, literally the, the Hebrew word is hevel or hebel. Uh, you can see it right there. It, you know, remember, Hebrew goes right to left, H-B-L, hebel. Or you could say it hevel. It depends on how you pronounce it. But it literally means vapor, right? It means the mist, right? You know, uh, James says that your life is a mist that vanishes at dawn, right? It's this idea of something that I see that it's there, but if I tried to grab it, it just eventually leaves me. Uh, so it literally means vapor or smoke, right? But metaphorically, uh, there's no one English word that truly captures the essence of hevel. In some sense, it means fleeting. Like when it says youth is hevel, it doesn't mean that youth is literally lacking of meaning. What it means is youth is fleeting. One day you realize you're going to be old, right? It's going to be gone, right? So uh, hevel can mean fleeting. It can mean meaningless. Uh, even, you know, the old uh, King James in the English Standard Version, it uses vanity of vanities, which is probably a great literal translation. Uh, but vanity for you and me, we sometimes think that means prideful, but that's not really what it means. It, vanity there means futile, pointless, worthless, right? This is why when you and I come across Ecclesiastes, we don't really uh, know what to do with it, uh, because it seems like uh, Proverbs, I, I think of Proverbs as sort of like your favorite middle school teacher, right? Anyone remember your middle school teacher who was like, these are the rules, follow the rules and things will go well for you, right? But then one day you go to college and you meet somebody who introduces you to a new friend called Nietzsche, and Nietzsche is all dark and moody, right? And Proverbs says, if you do well, you will be blessed, and then Ecclesiastes, you know, this jaded professor comes along and says, yeah, but sometimes the blessed die. And you think, well, what do I do with that? Well, what I want you to see, if you look at Ecclesiastes down in your lap, what the author is trying to get us to see, right, is the, that life is like smoke, smoke or vapor, Right? You know, James 4, 14, let me read it to you. The New Testament picks up on the same exact idea. James says, look here, you who say, tomorrow or today, we're going to go to a certain town, and there we'll make a profit and do business there. But how do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like a mist. It's here for a little while, and then it's gone. So what I want you to see is that Ecclesiastes is suggesting that you and me, our life is hevel right? Let me give you an example of, of what I mean by this. Remember, Proverbs is teaching you and I how to have a successful life, and Ecclesiastes is questioning, well, what do we define as success, and what do we do when we have success? Uh, you know, in 2007, there was this young whippersnapper uh, named Thomas Brady. You may know him as TB12, right? He's married to a Brazilian supermodel, and by 2007, if you can believe it, he had already won three Super Bowls, you may know him as the current Super Bowl champion. Anyone see him partying, eating and drinking and being married down in Tampa when he won the Super Bowl this past year? Well, in 2007, 60 Minutes interviewed Tom Brady to ask him, what was it like being so successful in life? And what he said was this, why do I have three Super Bowl rings 
and still think there's something greater out there for me. I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me, I think, God, it's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. At which point, Steve Croft, the 60 Minutes interviewer, asked him, so what's the answer? Brady responded, I wish I knew. I wish I knew, right? One, two, three, four. How many Super Bowl rings does he have now? 16? <laughs> Giselle's wearing them on her toes now. He's got so many. <laughs> Ecclesiastes is telling you that meaning in the ways that we seek it is notoriously elusive. And only those who are successful actually realize that, right? It's lonely at the top, the old saying goes. Um, have you ever worked really, really, really hard on a project only for right when you're about to implement it, it all gets thrown out the window? Anybody ever worked on a project like that at work where all of a sudden you work and you work and you strive and you pour so much of yourself in it and it, it's just gone? It vanishes like smoke from a matchstick? Uh, or maybe you've thought all of your religious strivings, all of your tithe money, all of your service, all of your prayers, that those should lead to some kind of better life than what you have now. I mean, isn't there some kind of quid pro quo where God should give us something for all of our hard work? Or have, you know, maybe you've gotten everything you've ever wanted in life. And maybe you've got the dream. But have you ever been honest enough with yourself when the party's over to acknowledge that you're really empty inside? Or did you just, you know, drown out that emptiness with more drink and pleasure? He certainly tried that. Vanity of vanities, meaningless, utterly meaningless. You know, if we get employee of the month, that's great, but that just makes your coworkers hate you more. <laughs> if you get an award, that always feels pat, because it never really speaks to all of the hard work that you gave into. Your dream home, well, now you're dreaming of your new home in Idaho or Montana or Hawaii, right? Friends, what Ecclesiastes is getting to is life is like smoke, right? And only the wise see it clearly for what it is. So what is the point? So why, if, life, if life is smoke, I mean, I know I'm going on and on about this, but to be honest, so does Ecclesiastes, y'all. <laughs> it's like 12 chapters of this. So what's the point? If life is like smoke, what's the point? Well, friends, what I want to suggest to you is that what Ecclesiastes is driving at is that life is a smoke, <laughs> and what that's supposed to do is it's supposed to spark in you, if you have any modicum of wisdom, for a yearning, a yearning for something better than this, a yearning for what we would probably call real life, <laughs> real life. You know, that, that comes to us, that yearning right there, uh, all throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, in, in chapter 1, particularly verse 3, uh, under this idea of under the sun, you know, to really understand Ecclesiastes, you need to understand a couple of basic terms. One is hevel, right, that fleeting, meaningless, worthless, futile idea. And the other one is this phrase, under the sun. And what that means is it means life here on this earth, 
right? And, you know, if, you're in, if you've been with us in our series right now called Whole, uh, I've suggested to you a way to understand the Bible and all of life is to see a, the, your story as part of a bigger story that has four basic chapters, right? Chapter one, God creates a beautiful world full of justice and grace and life, but sin entered our world through Adam and Eve, and we continue that sin ourselves. And so life is sort of like a mirror, that's made to perfectly reflect the glory of God. But unfortunately, sin has sort of taken a sledgehammer to the mirror and smashed it. And so, you know, if I'm a, if I'm a broken mirror, yeah, there may be parts of me, you know, that perfectly reflect God's glory, like when I love my kids or I, I give money to a guy on the street who's homeless or when I'm generous, right? There's moments of my life where I reflect God's glory, there's moments where the vapor moves and I just enjoy a meal with my family. But if you zoom out on your life, we recognize that really we're like broken mirrors and there's giant cracks. And what Ecclesiastes is driving at is this is life under the sun. Yeah, there are parts of us that seem okay, but the big picture, man, as he says, uh, there's nobody who never sins. Not a single person on earth is always good and never sins. You see, so part of what we're doing in Ecclesiastes is seeing it in light of all of Scripture, in light of this big story, right? We're like this broken mirror, and it's, made, it's meant to make us yearn for something, right? And it's the fool that yearns for something and finds it in pleasure or in houses or in vapor and smoke, Ecclesiastes says in chapter 3, verse 10, that God has put eternity in the heart of man. <laughs> there is a part of you that is indelible, irremovable, and it is a yearning for eternity. He goes on in chapter 12, and he says that the Spirit will return to God who gave it. And really, if you read the Bible, what you'll realize is that God's wisdom says that that deep yearning that we're trying to find in community or all of your hard work, or your business, or your sex life, or your friends, or your money, all of that yearning is actually a misplaced yearning that ultimately is found in God. St. Augustine, right? The human heart is restless until what? It finds its rest in you, O oh Lord. Our souls are meant to return from him. He goes on, he says things like we need to fear God, obey him, look for him. You know, Paul is trying to explain this in the New Testament to people who are very, very irreligious. Uh, you know, just like the religious people uh, need the gospel, uh, the irreligious need the gospel as well. And if you go into the book of Acts chapter 17, Paul, who before had been uber-religious but didn't know the gospel, has now discovered the power of God's grace in Jesus Christ. And now he's trying to explain it to people who don't know the Bible. And listen to what he says. He talks to them in verse 24. And he says, you know, he is the Lord who made the world and everything in it. Since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, God doesn't live in man-made temples and human hands can't serve his needs because he doesn't have any needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything. And he satisfies every need. From one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. His purpose 
was for the nations, that's people like you and me, to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own prophets have told you, we are all his offspring. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol or anything made of gold or silver or stone. God has overlooked people's former ignorance about these things, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man whom he has appointed, Jesus Christ, and proved to everyone by this, by raising him from the dead. You see, friends, the smoke of life, the broken mirror, right? The memory of something good, the realization that it's broken, it's all meant to drive us to Christ to the lamb who was slain for us. It's meant to give you a yearning for real life in God, who is the author of life. And every one of us in this room can be tricked into thinking that life is all about the smoke and the vapor. You know, maybe for you, it's finding righteousness in your hard work, or maybe it's in the dream home, or maybe it's in your own private Idaho. Whatever it is, the Bible warns to find real life only in Christ. You know, First Timothy, Paul says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be proud, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life, real life. <laughs> you know, that yearning that you and I have, it's like those moments where things are right, when we can eat, drink, and be merry. We can enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life, which you live under the sun. All of those little inbreakings of grace are meant to show you that your greatest yearning and my greatest yearning is to know God. You know, Jesus says it this way, if any one of you wants to be my follower, you must give up on your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, it's like what? If you try to hang on to your life, how are you going to do that? You're going to lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Because what does it profit you if you gain the whole world, but you yourself are lost or destroyed? You see, friends, the great hope that you and I have <laughs> is that we see a bigger picture than the writer of Ecclesiastes. And you know why? It's because as Paul will tell you in Ephesians, you and I know the mystery of the ages revealed to us in Christ Jesus. You and I know that under the sun, in this broken world that we remember being good but can't ever quite grasp it, we know who the author of life is. And we know that we're all gonna have to give an account to God when we die. Every one of us. 
And yet we know that we can stand before a holy God, not because of our righteousness, but because of his righteousness for us. He died so that we would never have to fear death again. Friends, this is the hope of the gospel. And this is why Jesus came. The night when Jesus was betrayed by his friends, which means you and I would have done the same thing. Jesus says these words. Jesus spoke these things, looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that the son may glorify you since you gave him authority over all people so that he may give eternal life, (laughs) real life, not vapor, real life to everyone you have given him. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. You know, C.S. Lewis, that great author, uh, was trying to get us to see that real life is not found in this world. It's found in Jesus Christ. But there's this beautiful thing about giving up our lives to Jesus, who is God in human form. And, and the best way C.S. Lewis could put it is he said this. He says, aim at earth, aim at earth, and you get neither heaven nor earth. But if you aim at heaven, you get heaven and earth thrown in. You see, when Ecclesiastes says, eat, drink, be merry, enjoy your life, enjoy your hard work, enjoy life with your wife whom you love all the days of your fleeting life, he doesn't mean it sarcastically. He means it only in the way that is possible when we know what real life is. It's only possible to have real life when the Holy Spirit of God dwells within you and your life is not about the vapor, it's about knowing God's love for you and extending that to other people. Uh, Friends, real life is found in Christ. Friends, uh, if Jesus really is Lord, that means he's the way. He's the path. If Jesus really is Lord, that means he's telling you the truth. Because he is the truth. And if Jesus really is Lord, that means he is real life. To know eternal life is to know the living God and his son who loves you so much that he died for you. And better yet, he is alive seated at the right hand of God and offers you his Holy Spirit to live with you forever so that your life isn't fleeting and meaningless, right? Your life will extend on to eternity. Now, friends, everything else apart from Christ, you know what it's like? It's like the iPhone 2, who nobody even wants, Should nothing of our effort stand, no legacy survive, unless the Lord does raise the house, in vain its builders strive. To you who boast tomorrow's gain, tell me, what is your life? A mist 
that vanishes at dawn. All glory be to Christ. Friends, let's pray. Father, we thank you that you imbue this world with real meaning. Jesus, we thank you that you give us real life and that you are coming again. In your name we pray, amen.